Okay, baby, tell me about the idea you had for the podcast. Well, since we have a very large music movie collection, and I'm trying to deter you from buying more movies, I thought maybe we should go movie by movie and rate them. I counted how many movies we have, actually, and we have at least 90 cases alone. And, like, some of those are, like, multi-movie packs or TV shows, which means that we arguably probably have over a hundred movies on our shelf right now. So I'm beginning to understand why you want me to stop buying them. Hi, I'm John. And this is Home Viewing. Home Viewing is exactly what Bethany just described. It is an effort to stop me from my compulsive buying of DVDs and Blu-rays by going through our entire movie library in alphabetical order. I originally wanted to call the show From About Time to Zombieland, but I feel like home viewing is just a more concise title. We are going to go through our whole movie library on this podcast alphabetically because there are some movies in there that I don't think I've actually watched, and some of them won't even... And uh, there's one in particular that we probably won't get to until the end that I'm going to do my best to watch before we actually get to it for the podcast so that Bethany doesn't eat me. Hmm. You know which one I'm talking about? A Christmas present. This is a Christmas present from a few years back. It's Winter's Bone, which I've never seen. Um, Props to J-Lo. She's a good actress. A cringy personality, but a good actress. I've never met her. I've never met her. Mm. This week, we're going to start off with the first movie that we watched. Um, the first movie alphabetically in our library. And what is that movie? A. A is the first letter of the alphabet. A is the first letter of the alphabet, but mm. what movie starts with A? Did you forget the name of the movie we watched already? Um. Okay, this movie is called About Time. Okay. It is a star vehicle for Domino Gleason. I actually don't think I knew who Domino Gleason was before I watched this movie. Harry Potter. I didn't, like, compulsively know every Harry Potter minor character actor's name. Weird. He showed up in two movies. Just two. Just the last two. Even and? though the books, he showed up much earlier. But anyway, uh, as, as you might guess, Domino Gleeson is uh, an actor who was in the Harry Potter movies as Bill Weasley. Um, he only showed up in the Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Part 2. Both of which we might end up watching for this series because after Alan Rickman died, we bought the movie set. If you guys want us to watch them all, please let us know. We will probably just watch one of them. Or um, all of them. Or all of them. Mm-hmm. If we're watching all the Harry Potter movies, then we're watching all the Star Wars movies. No, okay, never mind. So this is a time travel romantic dramedy, I feel like is the best way to call it. I don't know, what, would you, what kind of movie would you call this? First date movie? A first date movie? Yeah. You, you, think... don't, you don't know what their personality's like, so you just kind of go for something like... Meh. It's funny. Pretty. Did you just call this movie meh? We'll get into that later. We'll get into it later. Um, so it was written and directed by Richard Curtis, who you may be familiar with, you may not Uh, be familiar with. You're not familiar with Richard Curtis? He has made a couple of movies that you, well, at least one movie that you really like other than this, and one movie that's sort of like liked by everybody. He wrote and directed Love Actually, which is a pretty good movie. He wrote on Bridget Jones' Diary and Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason and Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is, like, apparently his, like, iconic film that a lot of people like. Like, Kumail Nanjiani, that's, like, his favorite movie. 
I've never actually seen it um, for Weddings and a Funeral, but a lot of people cite that as his favorite movie. This, But the movie that you like the most that's on here is The Boat That Rocked, which is the British title for Pirate Radio. I was going to say, I've never heard of Banana Boat Rocked Part 2. I don't... The Boat That Rocked. It's Pirate Radio, which is also a movie that Bill Nye is in. So. Uh, I officially love any movie that Bill Nye has been in. You really do? Yeah. So you... He makes a great dad. So did you like this movie then? He might be the most redeeming quality of this movie. You know, no, let's just go ahead. Let's get into it. The concept of this movie about time is that Domino Gleason's character is the son of Bill Nye's character. And after they have a really bad New Year's party where he, you know, fails to... Whoa, whoa, whoa. That wasn't a bad New Year's party. It wasn't? Yeah, they played Tattoo. They played The Killers. They looked like there were snacks. I, they did somehow manage to hit the... Oh, yeah, when you in, at, to... mid, at midnight, yeah. right at midnight. Yeah, they did a okay. thing we tried to do. I'm okay, sure. but let me put it this way. Domino Gleason's character, Tim, in his narration, which is an aspect of the movie that I think does make it a little bit overly, overly sentimental, he describes it as one of the worst New Year's parties ever. To me, it looked like a great party, but I think he... I think he has some kind of social anxiety. Basically, he goes to this New Year's party, he meets this cute blonde girl, but at midnight, rather than kissing her, he shakes her hand, and the girl cries then. So the next day, uh, Bill Nye, who is playing Tim's dad, who, I don't actually remember his character's name. Dad. I think he's just, just been referred to dad. as dad. Okay, so the dad brings, um, brings this Domino Gleason character in, um, Tim to his office to tell him a, a family secret that he promises he can't tell anyone else, which is that all the men in their family can time travel. And as he puts it, you can't kill Hitler or shag Helen of Troy. You can only travel back and forth to certain parts, uh, to parts in your life and places that you know where they are, which makes things kind of interesting later on in the movie, the, uh, the specific mechanics of this time travel. It just says dad. Sorry, everyone. IMDb just says dad for, for Bill for Bill Nye's character. Yeah. I don't think he is. Not get a name. I don't think his character does get That's a name. That's wild. No wonder he's the coolest character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's so many things that we haven't even go, gone over. Like the introduction of this is Tim talking about how his family is a perfectly normal family that lives in Cornwall. It's him, his mom's brother, Uncle Desmond, his mom, who's an unsentimental type, his like bohemian little sister, Katie, aka Kit Kat. So they live this idyllic little life, and they seem perfectly normal if not you know a little bit eccentric and bohemian you know nothing time travelly about it so in this scene in the scene where he brings him into this office i couldn't help but notice that domino gleason and bill nye just had really great chemistry for like a father-son relationship on screen like the way that he reacts to bill nye um bringing this up like oh no this is absolutely a joke and then treats it like he's joking the entire time and bill nye instead of saying like shut up or sit down or something like that just treats him like an adult just talks to him like they have kind of like a pretty ideal relationship which might be because as is revealed bill nye will go back and redo conversations when he needs to in within this i'm gonna refer to him as bill nye i'm gonna call him dad so he tells Domino Gleason that he just needs to go into a cupboard, close his eyes, and ball up his fists, and then think about where he wants to travel back in time. Tim thinks that he's being put on this whole time, and goes back, in, uh, goes into a cupboard, and says, I'm going to be really mad at you when I've just been standing in a cupboard for 30 
minutes. Instead, he manages to go back to his New Year's party and avoids making all these gaps and kisses the girl at mid midnight. And then he talks to his dad and they talk about what they can use it for. And the rules are established, which are you can only travel within your own lifetime and you shouldn't use it to try and find money. Bill Nye says that he used it to read as many books as he possibly could. Twice. Gag. Dickens three times, he said, which... That sounds horrible. Who does... would time travel to read Dickens over again? Not that they're, not that it's not good stuff, I mean, it's but great three times. Social commentary, but Come it's on. very pity. I, I had to read a lot of Dickens in my Victorian. Specifically, I had to read Hard Times like three separate times, and Hard Times is just it got harder each time, right? After this, um, Tim says, "Well, you know, to be honest, it would just be really great if it could help me get a girlfriend." Which they refer to as, you know, the ultimate mission. The mothership. And, you know, Tim, I think he just turned 21. I think within the context mm -hmm. he's just turned 21. Never had a girlfriend. I don't know if he's never had a girlfriend. It just seems like this is the first, like, true, like, love of his life type of situation that's about to happen. It's like he's growing up and he's, like, trying to couple off and find someone who he mm -hmm. wants to couple with. Which, kind of sad. Like, Tim has a kind of sad life. He, like... He's a little down on himself, but he he wants to follow this linear life path where you fall in love, get married, have a kid. Which is... And it, you notice how they don't really, like, indulge any of, like... Apparently he's, like, a lawyer or something? Yeah, he's a, he's a have, lawyer. They mention it, like, twice a in the whole He's movie. a defense lawyer. And that's the only reason he meets his buddy, right? Yeah, uh, Rory. Kid. Yeah. A uh, little, little short curly-haired Angus something, I think is his... McDonald's. No, it's not wrong, McDonald's. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. So Tim spends his last summer before he goes into London to go start working at this law firm. Which, at 21, you can start working at a law firm in England. That's wild well, to me. But I guess, I don't know, do English... No, he was a lawyer. Do English... Do oh, they English grow up have, a lot faster. They Their do, lives but don't do they suck have, as much. I know they have three-year university, but so do they not so have, I like, a separate... So I think university is after, right after you go to... Okay. You know, so you're 18, and then you go off to... University, and that's yeah, three years. That's three years. and But you can also be, like, a lawyer, doctor, whatever, like, after at the those same three, time. After those three years? Pretty much, I'm so sure. So they don't have professional Wait, school in England? Don't fact check us, guys. We didn't Google us. This first summer, he tries to get Margot Robbie to fall for him. So Margot Robbie, for vaguely connected reasons to his little sister's boyfriend is spending the summer um, with the family in Cornwall. And she's apparently very good at tennis, and Tim is very bad at tennis. Yeah, so... And that's... And, uh, you know, she's Margot Robbie. Yeah, so this she's, is actually her tryout for Itania. Little did she know. <laughs> she's 20... Uh, she was actually uh, 22 years old when this came out, so she's still very young. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and you can still see, like, her face hasn't, like, fully gotten as angular as it is now in this. But, obviously, she's gorgeous. She's Margot Robbie. And, like, there's, there's like, one pretty funny scene in particular where uh, she's suntanning and um, asks, her, asks him to uh, rub suntan lotion on her back. And he spills the, spills it all over her back, just completely. And he uses time travel to go back and fix that and be, like, really smooth when she asks him for it rather than being overeager. And that's sort of how you see him using time travel throughout the movie, is to fix, like, minor gaffes and things like that. Things where he came off as embarrassing. Her character is pretty one-note, I feel like. Like, she's... Yeah, but she only has one purpose. She's just there to be, like, an object to be desired. Yeah. By Tim, which isn't great. Um, 
but I mean, it also like sort of lends itself to what I think is a pretty one-dimensional performance from her. Well, I kind of—you have to have so Tim has to have this one person that's not nearly as great as Rachel McAdams' character because that's how he like realizes, oh, this person's like got everything. They're pretty smart and gonna be my wife. She's sort of like the high school crush for Tim because yeah. we don't actually see his high school years. Well, who cares? They don't have high school there. I mean, they do. No, only America has high school. It's secondary school. Yeah, it's not the same. They still have prom. Oh, really? I watched. I watched some girls where they came to prom in a fire truck. Okay. This summer with Margot Robbie ends after about five minutes, if that much. They don't spend very much time there. Would you say there was five seconds of summer? I mean, not 500 days, that's for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, which is also in our library, so we'll get to that later. So at the end of the summer, Tim goes to Margot Robbie's room on the last night there and is like, you know, I'm kind of in love with you. And Margot Robbie's character says, that's, uh, you know, your sister warned me that you were going to do this. And says something along the lines of, we have, of, you know, maybe you should have done this earlier in the summer and I would have been more open to it. So Tim says, something that he says a bunch of times throughout the movie, he says, okay, I need to go out for a minute. And he goes into a closet, and um, he travels back to, I think, like the first or second night that she's there, and says, you know, we should really try being together. And she says to him, you know, I just don't know. Maybe wait until the last last night and ask me again. (laughs) Which I think is pretty funny and very emblematic of, this very certain type of rejection that people like in height that you would get in high school like when people want to let you down easy like oh it's just like not the right time or like uh, it's not you it's the situation or something like that and you know it's, which is a line I think that I used a couple of times on people oh, because I was a bad person that's in high school. so cool no I said I was a bad person <laughs> then the next day he moves to London with the playwright Harry Styles. Harry Chapman, uh, who is played by the same guy who played Mr. Collins, Tom Hollander. He plays somebody who kind of has like an ego and anger problem in this. He's a very funny supporting character. Anyway, he goes to the job, he makes friends with Rory, um, Joshua McGuire, who is, you know, this kind of downtrodden worker who is not very good at what he does, from what I can tell. And that's his life in London. And, you know, he doesn't really have time for romance until his friend from the hometown, Jay, who is also a tall ginger. Farm boy. Played by Will Merrick, who was on Skins and on an episode of Doctor Who, I believe. Um, yeah, that's prerequisite of being British and an actor. You have to be. Oh, actually, Richard Curtis wrote one of my favorite episodes, Vincent and the Doctor, which oh. Bill Nye was also in as the curator. That is a really good one. Yeah. Probably one of the best ones. Um, so he uh, takes him out to this to a restaurant that is run by blind waiters where you sit in the dark. Uh, I feel like this concept has been explored in like a variety of like sitcoms and stuff, and it's just you know out there. But it makes a very interesting um, a very interesting sequence in the movie where. Once they go into the restaurant, we just see this black screen with, like, a couple of reflected lights. Yeah, as cheesy as the date is, the the device is nice to just hear voices and to, like, see blackness. That, that part is really neat. 
Yeah, and uh, there's a timestamp down at the bottom. Um, it starts at like 7.40 and goes all the way to like 10 o'clock. So they're there for about two or three hours. Um, and at this place, they run into these couple of girls, um, Rachel McAdams' character, Mary, and her friend, whose name I forget, who... Um, friend. We'll call her friend. We'll call her friend. We should... You know, we really should give give women agency and call them by their names. Wait. But call she, me by... Joanna. name and No. No. We're not doing that. <laughs> Joanna. Her friend Joanna. Um... And they, uh, the guys start flirting with them, but then Tim forms a pretty meaningful connection with Mary pretty quickly. They just, you know, are talking casually, and then she starts talking about how much she loves Kate Moss. Um, this is prompted... No, no, not during no, no, the date. This is during the date. This is during... Does she? This is, yeah, this is during oh, the incidental date, okay, because okay. that's how he finds her later. What happens is that Tim asks her what she looks like, and she says, I look kind of like Kate Moss. Okay. And she, sa- and, uh, she says... No, not really. I actually look kind of like a squirrel. I love Kate Moss, though. I mean, granted, she doesn't really look like Kate Moss. Yeah, but she doesn't look like a squirrel either. She's Rachel McAdams. I mean, squirrels are... Kate she looks like Regina George. She... I heard her hair is insured for like $10,000. Anyway. She looks like Regina George with a fringe. Um, after the... Yeah, after the date, they... Um, after, after, you know, this dinner, they come out and... Mary gives her number to Tim, and we, you know, we meet her, and she's, and it's like this really touching moment where they haven't seen each other before, because they've been in the dark the whole night. They're meeting this person who they've realized, like, through the course of their conversation, that they're both really into, and both would really like to spend more time with, and Tim walks out of the restaurant first, and he's just waiting, and there's this just great shot of Rachel McAdams walking out and realizing that Tim is standing right in front of her and they realize who they are and what each other looks like and you can see this sort of beginnings of love in their faces and it's probably one of my favorite shots it, like favorite acted like scenes in cinema if I'm being honest wow. I listen one thing you're gonna I love this romantic comedy stuff one thing you're gonna learn about me on this podcast I love a good sappy sentimental love story like oh I love it then it ends he gets her number and he goes home but he finds out that his roommate the playwright his play had opened that night and an actor had forgotten his lines dooming the play to failure and by actor I mean like top form British West End National Theatre kind of stuff this isn't community theatre this is the Broadway of London I feel like people on the West End would take umbrage to me saying that. But I'm going to say it anyway. It's the Broadway of London. So Tim decides, well, I have this time travel power. I can use it to help people rather than just helping myself. So he goes back in time and feeds the actor the lines when he forgets them from, with cue cards from the set. Which cue cards seems to be a Richard Curtis thing. Because they, because uh, of that entire Love Actually sequence, you know? To me, you are perfect. Which one is that? Andrew Lincoln and Kira Knight. It's it's the Christmas one. I don't think I really remember that one either. You don't remember Love yeah, Actually? Yeah, I have this thing called movie amnesia. So, like, if it's not super... So you don't remember the scene... Okay. And everyone's British, and they K- say... Kira Knightley marries Chiwetel Ejiofor. Chiwetel Ejiofor, the black guy. He, he was in 12 Years a Slave. And Children of Men. Okay, another thing you're going to learn about me is I'm really good at picking out people who are in other things. He's got the opposite of me. 
whatever that is. Anyway, uh, we see. Anyway, most people will be familiar with the "Say That It's Carolers" at the door scene, where he plays the uh, plays the boombox and has the cue cards for Kira Knightley to read. Uh, okay. That one. Okay. Um, so cue cards. It's a Richard Curtis thing. After, let's see. Um, oh, oh, we forgot something from the um, that I wrote down on my little notepad. What? So when they so on the way home after the the dinner thing, uh-huh. um, they they film him. Like on like him walking down the street and the camera just is like it's like shaking. Like he's like so excited. Like, so it's like kind of bouncy. So, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, this just ha-. like it was like excitement. So like like the camera work in this movie is just like It's expressive, you would say mm-hmm. you say? Yeah, I would say that. But it also just has this like warm, icky, like Gooey sentimentalism. Oh, this is absolutely a gooey sentimental movie. To which I would say that's the way a lot of people take love. Actually, I mean, there's. I'm not gonna say anything about love actually because I don't really quite remember all of it. I mean, but it it shares a couple of themes with it, and I haven't seen Four Weddings and a Funeral, but it's about love and grief, from what I understand. And this is that's a lot of what this movie is about, and a lot of what love actually is about. Not much grief in this movie. There's a decent amount of grief. See, he he has this like. Nice little life where nothing really happens to him. Like, literally nothing too bad happens to him until it's, like, the very end when it's, well, like... But you see, that's that's what I think is kind of poetic about this movie, is it shows how those events can shape you and, like, emotionally affect you, even if you do have a normal life. Well, see, the whole... Because, like, other, other than the fact that he's able to time travel, Tim's just a regular bloke, you know? Right, and so he doesn't realize this whole time that he's wasting so much of his time going back and fixing everything when things are still going to happen. Like, that's the whole point. But the point of it is that he does realize that by the end. You know, we're skipping... But it takes him so long, I mean... Okay, essentially, he and Rachel Adam, uh, he goes back and fixes this, but in fixing this, the same night of the thing, he loses the time that he met Mary, the time that he met Rachel McAdams' character. Okay, that's where you go with this. I was like, we don't need to do a plot summary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in... So he realizes that his time travel has consequences. This is really the first instance that we, we see of that in the movie. Um, and really, he doesn't use it that much for a movie where it's like one of the core mechanics. He doesn't do too much well, time travel. Well, not that you see. Like, I'm assuming that because he's so, like, so awkward that he has to use it, like, every day, like, at least once, maybe. But the core of this movie really is about love. It's about his love between him and his friends, him and his parents... Yeah, that's true. There is more than one kind of love in this movie, which mm-hmm. is really kind of, you know, good that they didn't just focus on this romantic love. Like, there's familial love, there's, you know... So he realizes that um, Rachel McAdams' character, Mary, loves Kate Moss, so he decides that he's going to stake out a Kate Moss exhibition. And what is... Okay, I'll be honest. This is a sequence that doesn't super work for me. No, I don't really think they would have a Kate Moss exhibition. It's not the Kate Moss exhibition part. Really? That's not the part of that? That's not the part. It's, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? Well, yeah. That whole interaction is so creepy. Yeah, like, he, he walks... He literally just walks up to her. He walks up to her at the Kate Moss exhibit and says, Hi, Mary. And she's like, How do you know my name? Like, come on. You would think if you're older than 21, you knew how, like, general conversations work. But you see, he keeps forgetting. He says, I'm so happy to see you. And he's not realizing... You see, he's forgetting this. They never met. They never met so that she doesn't know who he is. Anyway, she finds out by hanging out with 
But you want to tell me that you sit there for a week waiting for this girl, and you forget that you've ever seen her before? That Well, that she... That she's you never sing, seen you, you before. You sing Friday I'm in Love by The Cure and sit there for a week. Make your sister sit there with you for a week and you don't remember. His sister doesn't sit her there with him the whole week. She just hangs out with him so She feels bad for him. She does feel bad See, for him. See, that's another thing. Is like She genuinely does feel bad for him at some points. She's like, oh, you're such a loser. Like, <laughs> my life's not together, but you're still a loser. <laughs> anyway, he does run into Rachel McAdams and finds out that she's got a boyfriend. I'm super cute one of that. Yeah. Rufy. That's not old. That's a bad nickname, isn't it? No. No, she does say at one point they do say Rufy. They call they call him yeah. Rufy? Rupert. Rupert. Yeah. Rupy. He says oh. she says Rufy, not Rufy. Well. I mean that just makes me think of India's currency in Legend of Zelda. So Oh, it makes me think of like dragon people. It makes you think of her hypno. Oh, when I thought Anyway. He finds out that she met him basically at a party, I think it was the day after they would have met. Um, so he finds out when and where this party is, and like the ultimate creep move, like finds out where, when and where this party is, when Rupert showed up at this party, so that he can travel back in time, go to this party, and then feed Rachel McAdams the lines on Kate Moss that she gave him at the exhibition to make her fall for him. See, this is confusing because I thought he could only go back in time in his life. Well, so you see, he, he can go back in time. He, get, so he, he knows the day. He, he knows the back. day and the address. He goes back in time to that day, and then rather than going wherever it was he went that night, he goes to that party. He can walk anywhere in London, you know? I guess you can walk anywhere in London. Or, you know, take the tube. Find the gap. At this party, he convinces her to go get dinner with him. And then it starts unfolding like a normal relationship. Um, she asks him, uh, you know, they get along perfectly. There's this really wonderful flirty scene where they talk about how she's a reader at the um, at a publishing house. Really flirty and cute. Is this where the weird Easter egg is where they say Boz Lerman is a songwriter? No, that's that... much later. Okay, well that's really weird. For some reason I thought it was the party, but I know at one point he's talking to someone. They're like, yeah, I lo- I just love this one song, and I was like, no, it's weird. This is weird. Why don't you think this is weird? It makes sense that Boz Lorman's a songwriter, what? but I mean, wow. they what what's weird is that they refer to him as the songwriter Boz Lorman because, <laughs> because because he's a director. That's what I know him as. I know him from Moulin Rouge and yeah. Great Gatsby and Hashtag Romeo and Juliet. Only. I mean, but he makes movies with and about music, so that makes I just wish that they had um, clarified it. I would, I would love to go back and see what song they mentioned and, like, listen to that song. This movie does have pretty weird music taste. Not really. She walks down the aisle to a song by... Oh my god. It's cute. It's adorable. Oh my god, okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, and then they have sex, and it's awkward the first time. So, of course, having... Shot off his first... He goes back in time to redo their first sex again. And, and make it better. And then he does it a... Th- and, and what's really funny, like, the first one, they're just kind of, like, awkwardly... At the end of the first scene, they never actually show the sex. They show him, like, fumbling with her bra. But then they cut to the end where they're just lying on the bed. And he's like, well, it's not always great the first time. And then he goes back and they're just, like, kind of cuddling. And then he goes back in time and, you know, does it perfectly... 
um, you know, opens the bra and she's like, oh, you're an expert on your bras or something like that. Um, and um, he, and you know, then they're, you know, laying there like a little bit tired, like it's a good time. Still on the bed. And then the third time he goes back and it's just incredibly sexy. Much better than the first two times. Um, and they redo their first sex. And then they fall, and then they end on the floor with the covers wrapped around them. And he says, that was the best night of my life, and I think I might be about to have the best sleep of my life. And in what is probably the best gag in the movie, I think, uh, Mary turns to him and says, are you saying that one time is enough for my perfect man? Uh, I thought it was... I it's thought, cringy, though. It was cringy, but it got some laughs. Like, there were... It, it got, like, an audible laugh out of me. The first time I watched it, and I think every time I've watched it since then. By the way, I bought this movie probably around, like, 2014, and I think I've watched it, like, four or five times since then. How many times have I made you watch it since then? Like, once. Just what once? are you watching this without me? Well, I remember showing it to my parents and showing it to you. I think I watched it once, then bought it. Then from there, it's just kind of a fast-forward on their relationship. We see this montage through the seasons of them going to work in the underground while these buskers play um, How Long Will I Love You? Which is kind of really cute because the buskers like never change their outfits. It does a really good time of showing time passing and showing that you know Kit Kat lives in London now and eventually he meets her parents. I like when they're in the subway that they wear like these weird outfits. They like have costumes on and stuff. Oh yeah! Like and the costumes sort of, like, go with the season and mm-hmm, symbolize that mm-hmm. passing of time. Like, why do you have so many costumes? And it's, like, a really well-soundtracked scene, I think. It's got, like, electric fiddle and upright bass. It's it's nice stuff. He meets her parents, and just a fairly normal-meaning parents. I mean, that's the thing. This movie is, like, kind of aggressively normal for a time travel rom-com. It's not really sci-fi. There's nothing, like, overly special about either Tim or Mary. It's not like a star-crossed lovers kind of thing. It's a... No, this is just a normal boy and a normal girl who love each other. And... And who are ridiculously optimistic about everything. Like, very few times they ever like, oh, our lives suck, or like, oh, this is getting us down. Like, they kind of pout for like a little bit, and then they like, pick themselves back up. Or they don't even have to pick themselves back up. They're just like, eh. Life is normal. Life is... Tim goes to the theater on a d- the day after he meets um, Rachel McAdams' character's parents. Um, he goes to the theater with Rory because Rachel McAdams is too tired to do anything that day. At the end of the show, who should he see but Margot Robbie? He fumbles and like accidentally calls, like her, uh, assumes that she's a lesbian because she introduces her friend as her girlfriend. And it's just awkward. And he, you know, time travels to fix that, obviously. Because if there's an awkward mistake that he makes, he's going to time travel to fix it. That's the yeah, first thing you learn about this movie. And she walks up to him and then invites him to go out to eat. And they do go out to eat. And then she asks him to walk her to her apartment. And I guess at this point he hasn't told her that he like lives with lives with Rachel McAdams' character? So I don't know. I think this might actually be Tim's biggest like flaw point. Because it seems like he might actually go through with it. Like, why would you go out to dinner with this person that... I guess he kind of knew, but they weren't really, like... They spent a summer besties. living in the same house. I mean, there's plenty of people that I knew for, like, a span of time, and I don't talk to them anymore. Like, yeah, but if the, if you saw them randomly... If you saw someone that you had, had an emotional connection to 
randomly in the street and they invited you to go out to eat, wouldn't you go out to eat with them? I'm busy. But you see, I never feel like he's ever going to go through with it. I feel like he just sees walking her back to her apartment as walking so her back to her apartment. I don't think he doesn't realize. Well, I don't think it's not that he's airheaded. It's that he's so committed to Mary that he just can't imagine himself being with with Margot Robbie at that. See, point. that seems inhuman, like in itself. Like everyone has. Like, you see, I think her. I think that's very pessimistic of you. Yeah, but well, I guess it's just like. So are you saying, are you saying that if, if Timothy Chalamet... Oh, he's too... He's too young. He, is it, what's, how old is he? 22? 22? Mm-hmm. Too young for you? Uh, yeah, Okay, okay. Um, Ansel Elgort, no. He's 24, right? He's got a girlfriend, we can't... Okay, if a magically single Ansel Elgort and you had spent a summer together when you were in high school... I know his face, I just don't... Okay, point point being, Tim, rather than going into the apartment with Margot Robbie, instantly runs home to propose to Mary, who is still asleep in the bed. Yeah, how weird is that? Like, don't... I mean, would you really Guys, wake someone I'm, up to do this? Would you just wait till they could, like, wake up, like, in the morning? <sighs> Listen. Like, it's rude. When you know you need to propose to someone... Okay, well, you've had to have felt this... The one thing that you have to do right at that second, is proposed to them. You have to propose to them. Okay? Like, when I propose to you, spoiler alert, we're we're engaged. We're getting married in October. When I propose to you at night, like, I had been planning, I proposed to her in October, I'd been planning to propose to her since August, okay, but I was planning, planning to propose, I was planning to propose in November. So it could have waited till the next morning, is what you're saying. Like, if he, you know... Did he have a ring on him when he proposed? He had a ring on him. He so he'd went, been planning he went, this. So he could have just, like, waited till the morning, brought her breakfast, had some little flowers, told her to get dressed, and, or I guess maybe not. Who knows? Anyway, the point is... Are you saying you would have preferred if I had waited till morning to propose to you? Well, I don't know. You were, you were acting weird. Like, like you were going to, like, turn into a wolf or something if we didn't go somewhere or something. It was weird. Our weird proposal story can be later. Yeah. He t- so he time travels back to wake her up a little bit better, puts music on what we what she assumes is the radio, but it's actually a band of buskers that had been playing. And then she she says yes and goes back to sleep, and he sends sends them away. And then she meets his parents, um, which she hadn't met yet. It's all really cute. Oh yeah, and then they're like, "We're preggers." Yeah, they just happen to be pregnant because they're good. so. So they're going on their little linear story. So now they gotta get super, like speed married. There's so. a really cute segment where they're having trouble planning for the wedding. Rachel McAdams says, "Here's the deal: I will take off one item of clothing for every decision that you make regarding the wedding." And when it finally comes time for her to take her uh, her pants, which we and uh, states would call her underwear off. Also, something that's very strange to me is Rachel McAdams, who plays an American in this movie, uses a lot of British terms. Like, she calls her Banks yeah, French. Yeah, French. Well, I think she's just trying to assimilate it to the locals, you know? That's gotta be it. But anyway, uh, he says, where are we going for the honeymoon? He says Scotland. And she says, I'm not taking my pants off for Scotland, which is just really funny. Also, like, I really need to emphasize how freaking hot Rachel McAdams is in this movie. Like in that. Yeah, I feel like that wasn't necessary for our podcast. It's I don't know. She's just she's a very she's 
she's hot. She's, she's okay. She's like, like the glamorized version of the girl next door. Except not super she's glamorized. Like I mean, she's, but it's like a very normal, like, kind of beauty. Like, I don't know. I like Rachel McAdams a lot. I think she's, I haven't seen The Notebook, but everything else I've seen her in, she's just been fantastic in. Um, yeah, see, this is a prop. Have you not seen The Notebook? I haven't seen it. I just. If you, if you are the rom com king, you have to see The Notebook. It's not a comedy, though, is it? It's just a romance. I uh, yes. It's, it's a, a. It's a. a, sad a it's a. It's a sad. Dance. Yeah, I know. I know the details. Aren't some of the details? But you still need to see it. Well, maybe I will. If buy, you know, buy it. Yeah, and we'll I'm, gonna, watch it. I'm probably gonna buy a lot of things this weekend. Just to just so just that we're obligated watch to watch yet. them. They get married, and she wears a red dress that is just absolutely beautiful. She walks but down. But, like, seems inappropriate for a wedding. Like, it's, like, Listen, bright maybe for an American. It wasn't tomato red. It was, yeah, like, a it velvet. Was it was beautiful, and I loved it. It was too much. And it had the weird, like, puff sleeves. Like, the sleeve. Okay, it reminded me of, like, a little bit more modern, like, 80s, 90s. To me, it felt like dress. an understated elegance. Um, they have the, they have the, um reception at his house in Cornwall and it's rained out and the and like the rain bursts through the tent and everyone gets I wet. Like that part. That it's was it's really funny. From there they have the baby. Yeah, and of course they call the baby cozy because their life is just like sugar sweet. Like everything's like great. Like got a little cozy, like nothing bad happens to these people. It's 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 weird. They kinda of just fast forward through this first year of Posey's life to her actual first birthday party, which Kit Kat, his sister, fails to show up for because she got into an accident while driving drunk. And at that point, Tim is kind of able to trace back that all these bad things happening in her life have been because of her shitty boyfriend, Jimmy. Which, big flaw on his part. Like, no one's life is just because of one person. Like, he doesn't understand that there's fundamentally something, like, wrong with Kit Kat. Like, and he goes back in time to so make it so that... So he tries to fix it, like an to, idiot. He goes back to that first New Year's party that we opened it up, which is where they met and Wait, fell in love. Th- that was surprising to me that he could bring someone with him. I didn't... I don't... I'm like... I'm surprised he just had that gumption. He's like, okay, we're going back, like... And yeah, it's it's something like, that's... I thought it wouldn't work. Like, the first time I watched it, I didn't think it would work. Like, I was like, this is dumb. It's not gonna work. Like... I, I assumed that too, but they let it work because they play fast and loose with the rules on this. But also... Because it kind of pays off to an entirely, to a very interesting consequence at the end of it. Also, what kind of sexist trait that, like, the daughter doesn't get into? Like, what is it, like, you're missing a chromosome. How could you have this extra thing or part of a chromosome? Anyway. He brings her back. They fix it. Or so they think. Goes back to London to see his wife and goes to see his baby Posey only to find out that it's not baby Posey, it's baby Matthew. He has a dark-haired one-year-old son rather than a red Yeah, and this red, son doesn't red-haired. look like it could have been, like, the mix of them. It's, like, super dark hair. Rather than a red-haired one-year-old daughter. The, the skin tone looks a little darker. Like, it's weird. Like, it's, like, very... It's like she had, like, an affair. And, like, actually. just for, like, just for, like, extra emphasis, he's, like, wearing a blue shirt to really show, this is not a girl. This is not the same baby. And then he travels He travels back to the birth of this child to talk to his father and try and figure out what happened. He's like, am I going to be able to travel back beyond the birth? And he says, no, 
because anything that you change, even a little bit, will change some, will change stuff pretty fundamentally. Because it has to be that exact moment and that exact sperm to make that exact child. So you will lose your child if you travel back beyond the birth again. So then he travels back to make it so he didn't fix things with Kit Kat and Jimmy. And he has Posey back. And instead of traveling back in time to try and fix things and make it so they didn't happen, he and Rachel McAdams, he and Mary, go and sit next to Kit Kat at her hospital bed to watch over her and help her figure out what she needs to do, which is quit drinking and leave Jimmy. And this is where he sort of learns that, no, there are some things that time travel can't fix. I can't just build my perfect life with this and that there yeah, are consequences to his enough. actions. I can't believe he got along that far. I think maybe because he's so timid. Like, he probably never tried anything like that. He was like, oh, I'm going to wear these sneakers today instead of those, and then maybe I'll get a well, there. But, I mean, that's kind of explored when his dad says you can't kill Hitler or Shaq Helen of Troy, too. This idea that you can't change these huge things. So he only really tries to live his little things. But, like, it would have been more interesting if he had tried more big things and, like, failed hardcore. The rest of the movie, basically, he and Mary have another baby, another little girl, and then they find out, uh, there's a uh, scene where Rachel McAdams tries on a bunch of dresses, but at the end of the scene, they find out that his dad has cancer and is dying. He has a conversation with his dad to find out, well, okay, how long do I actually, do we, we actually have, how long do the doctors say, and is there anything you could have done to fix this with your time traveling? And he reveals to him, no, there isn't. He says, I, and it becomes pretty clear that because of his time traveling, the experiences that Tim has with his dad are probably mostly not the first time around. It's all these like ping pong games, all these, these reading sessions, all this time that they've spent together was because he went back in time to get that extra time with his family. He thought, I did my life wrong the first time around. I'm going to use this power to do my life right, to get this extra time that I'm not going to be able to have at the end of my life. Which is kind of messed up, because, like, they get to pick memories based on what was better for them. Like, what if this person, like, like, the other person had a better time in the memory, but they would know it, but they're basically erasing something that could have affected that person, like, for the better, or perhaps for the worse, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, what what I'm kind of, what what I found is that they really are kind of self-centered when it comes to their time travel. Oh, yeah. No, it's completely for them. Like, gotta have my perfect life. Like, And then he tries to flip it on. Like, oh, but I was such a good father because I, you know, did all this for you. It's like, maybe not. He says, I mean, he says that that's the reason he retired so young is so that he would have that extra time to play table tennis with his son. So, it's, again, though, I think it's a really beautifully acted scene. I think... Any time that Domino Gleason and Bill Nye are on the screen together, yeah. it's just... The movie could use a little more of that. I, I really think it could have. It was powerful. I think to make this movie better, you would have just framed it as a series of conversations between the two of them. But, like, then you lose Rachel McAdams. Well, no, no. So I don't know. No. We're not going to try to punch up this. His dad, his dad dies. They go to the funeral. After the funeral, it's not clear how much time. But Rachel McAdams says to Tim, we should have another baby. Tim instantly hesitates, of course, because once they have this other baby, he's not going to be able to travel back in time to see his dad again. And he accepts it, so he just... So then it flashes forward to the night that they're... 
that um, Rachel McAdams is probably going to have this child. Which is interesting to me that he was willing to travel all while they were pregnant, which was probably changing the baby every time. But he hasn't met the baby yet, so he's like not worried about. He's like not worried about it. What if? See, this is a problem. Because what if they had had like a gender reveal party and then like? Well, gender reveal parties different. are dumb because gender's a construct. So. But like, what if she was expecting this one child, and they're like, "We don't know how it happened," and he was like, "Oh my god, it's my fault." Like that'd be awkward. But you see, she wouldn't remember because every time he tra- traveled, it would have changed her memories. Oh, that's the thing. Oh, is this movie bad? Uh, this movie is good. There are things that aren't necessarily addressed that one thought of on a sometimes you ruin things deeper when level. You, when you analyze it on a deeper level. I mean, this is what's happened to me with what happened to me with Jane the Virgin. It's well, like, yeah, this watch through, I had an achy feeling. It was like, I mean, it's not bad, but I mean, it's missing some substance. I figured you would have an icky feeling just because it's very sugary and very yeah, sweet. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I don't remember it being this like. Anyway, he travels back in time with his dad, and his dad tells him the secret to his happiness. And they travel back in time one more time, uh, you know, very carefully, not changing anything so as not to change the timeline, to a memory of when they were kid, uh, when Tim was a kid, and they're skipping rocks on the beach. It's very cute, very adorable, um, and then. We see a montage of Tim trying to live through things the way his dad told him to. He lives one day without traveling back, and then, you know, just goes through it. And he, at the end of the day, he says, oh, this was a bad day, essentially. This wasn't a good day. And then he travels back and lives the day again, but making sure to notice all the little moments of kindness and beauty. And, you know, trying to make light of things. Bethany's making a gagging noise right now. I thought it was really sweet. The I think first they time literally I say it. it like that. I think he was like, I think his dad was like, you need to take the time to notice every little moment of kindness, or something like that. Like it every was like every little moment of kindness. You don't say like that. Bill Nye way. Well, I can't because I'm not Bill Nye. No one is Bill Nye but Bill Nye. So. <laughs> you see, you say you love Bill Nye movies, and yet I don't think I've ever been able to get you all the way through Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, that movie's weird. He shows up at the very end of it, to be fair. It's a cluster. I love that movie, and we're going to be watching it. I hope you know that, because it's in the oh, library. No. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's in the library. Nothing's going to happen to it between now and, uh, what's that letter? H. H, yep, no, nothing's going to happen to it. That's basically the movie. Final How do you th- got a plot summary? I mean, we did our analysis through the plot summary, though. Final thoughts? If you like this sort of content... <laughs> Make sure to subscribe to our podcast if we ever get a subscription or RSS feed set up. But I mean, you know, I kind of already gave you my thoughts. Like that was the whole point. That was the whole point. On a scale of, let me think, what famous gingers? Yeah, I'm there. Well, I would think carrot top at the bottom end. Whoa! You think carrot top at the bottom end? Yeah, I think it goes like carrot top, Rupert Grint, in the middle, Donald Gleason at the top. I would give it four out of Dom Gleeson. Four out of five Dom Gleeson's is what I would give this movie. Wait, but is that out of... Okay, okay so... Uh, two and a half to three Dom Gleeson's, I think. Two and... Like, it was... So, like... Pretty, had good camera work. Like, definitely was trying to, like, have some substance to it. But, like... At you the, thought it drowned At the end, there was no, like, good, like, climax. No good, like, catastrophe kind of was missing, like, um... But you see, that's what I think the beauty of this movie is, is it's, like, it's a very... It's, dare I say, it's pastoral. It's, like, it looks at what a normal life is like and just finds the beauty in it. I don't see any sheep in it. 
Whatever. <laughs> okay, so I give it a four, you give it a two and a half? Yeah. Okay, let me go look on the shelf and see what we'll be watching and reviewing next. This is exciting. Is oh, it in order? Boy. It is in order. It's, it's, yeah, it's in order. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And the winner is? American Hustle. I uh, hope we don't lose any listeners with that. Why? It's not a great movie. What? It's David O. Russell. I'm excited. It's... I I bought that because it was on clearance at Target. Oh. And this is when I was in my... um. This, this is... I think this was right before I had my procedure last year when I was like, I need to buy like five movies because I'm going to be out for two days. Did you... You didn't even watch it when you were out. No, I didn't. I haven't watched this since I bought it. I think I watched like the first ten minutes and I was like, I cannot deal with this right now. Oh, well that makes me really excited. So. Oh, boy. Who's the director on that one, do you know? David O. Russell. David O. Russell, the same director as um, the movie with Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper and the dancing. Oh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, I like that one. I liked it a lot. Um, but anyway, so next, next time, American Hustle. This has been home viewing. It's a production of Five Animals Productions. I need to. Bye. Bye. Nobody looks sad at that way but you. We all saw drowning, but you were the one with the blood on your hands. Sing it, I never saw the one. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.